nation of Israel was in slavery and in bondage in Egypt. Joseph had went down to Egypt, and God had used that to save that family from famine. And over the next 400 years, they'd grow into a very powerful nation. And the Bible says that there arose a Pharaoh who, who knew not Joseph. I mean, he didn't have any respect for him. And he was concerned that the people were going to become too powerful. And so what Pharaoh did is he enslaved them and began to oppress them to keep them from being able to, to organize and perhaps, perhaps take over in, in Egypt. And so the people began to live under oppression. And they were part of a particular um, aspect of slavery where they were constructing bricks. And ironically, uh, to this day, that goes on in some places around the world. But they were engaged in very hard manual physical labor and they were oppressed by the government and they began to, to pray and to cry out to the Lord. And that's when God raised up this man Moses to, to lead them out and to lead them to a place that God had promised. That's why we now refer to it as the, the promised land. And as God sent Moses to go and intercede for the people with Pharaoh... Pharaoh, of course, was very resistant. And so God sent plagues on the, on the, the nation to get Pharaoh's attention. And uh, plague after plague after plague came upon Egypt until finally there was one plague in which God said he was going to strike uh, the firstborn in every household dead. So I want you to think about what that means for a moment, what that would look like. That, that would mean that in your house when you woke up this morning, the oldest child would be dead. All over the land of Egypt, this took place. And when it happened, the Bible says that people awoke to this and you could hear wailing and crying. Do you imagine in your neighborhood if this had happened this morning? A scream would wake up one neighbor who would then discover the death in their own house and there would be a wave of wailing across the community. That's what took place that day in Egypt. In every home, Except God's people who believed, trusted God, and followed his directions. You see, God said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to take a lamb, and you're to prepare this lamb, and you take the blood, and you smear it over your doorpost. And God said, when the angel of death passes through, when he sees the blood, he will pass over. And so on that day, God's people, all who believed and followed and sacrificed the lamb and smeared the blood, there was no death of the firstborn. But in every house, there was a death. For the Egyptians, it was their firstborn. But for God's people, there was a substitute. There was a lamb. They would go into the promised land where God would give them scripture. 
And through Moses, God would tell them the instructions about how to offer sacrifice. And so there would be this tabernacle, which was an uh, elaborate tent that would travel with them through the wilderness and then on into the promised land. And in that place, there would be priests who would offer sacrifice. And so a person would sin, and then they would bring the lamb, and the lamb would die. A person would sin, and they would bring whatever animal had been prescribed in God's scripture for that sacrifice. And the animal would die, but the person would live. You see, the wages of sin is death. That is always and it's absolute. But for God's people, there was a substitute. A substitute. And then we move forward several hundred years. And God sent his son. And John the Baptist, the man that the Lord himself said that none greater has been born among women. John the Baptist, a man that was so anointed by the Spirit, a man that was such a powerful preacher that he didn't need a pulpit. He just went out into the wilderness and the masses came to him. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, this is what he said. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, today the wages of sin is still death. But praise God, there's still a substitute. The Lord Jesus himself. That's what we're going to celebrate today when we celebrate this supper. We're going to celebrate that Jesus came and that he died for us. That he stood in our place and paid a penalty that he did not owe. He paid our penalty. He paid our wages. And he offers this as a free gift. And in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, that's going to be our passage for today. The Bible speaks about why God did this. And it's because God loves you. That's why he did this. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Would you join me in standing together? Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It's a short passage, but it's a powerful passage. Listen to what it says. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you love us beyond our comprehension. I pray today as we explore this verse, if there's anybody here that's never understood they're loved, I pray today they would sense it and experience it. God, help us to receive the grace that you have offered to us through your Son. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now the Bible says here that God has shown his love for us. We live in a time where words are cheap. We're in a we're in a um, election season, right? Notice any signs around town and the commercials? And uh, 
If we can think of a group of people that are kind of infamous for saying one thing and do another, it would be politicians. But it's not just politicians. We don't want to single them out. What about salespeople? Have you ever bought a car before? It's not just salespeople. Did you ever date anybody in elementary school? You, you, I don't know how they do it today. When I was a kid, we didn't have technology. Our technology was a number two pencil. And so pull out a sheet of notebook paper and, and you, you remember, you, you just write on there. I like you. Do you like me? Check yes or no. You fold that thing up and you pass it and you hope that nobody intercepts it. And how many times have people talked about that they, they love somebody without even understanding what love is? Words are cheap. It's easy to say something. But God didn't just say he loved us. God showed his love for us. He showed us. That's what the Bible says here. It says that he showed us. But God shows his love for us. Today, many people just don't even understand what, what love is. And we use this word to refer to all kinds of things now. People use it as a synonym for infatuation. But, but love is so much more than that. People use this as a synonym for lust. But, but love is it, it's so much more than that. Love is not just butterflies you get in your stomach or goosebumps or excitement that you get over something new or some new person or the way somebody looks or sounds. Love is so much more than that. It's not at all what God is talking about when he said that he loves us. Love is so much more than, than liking. But God's love is also, it's not just reciprocal. You know, there's a lot of people today that they actually love other people, but you know why they love them? Because those people love them. All around the world today, we see community among groups of people. I mean, have you ever heard that phrase before? Thick as thieves. Even people in jail have community and love each other. There's, there's people around the world where people love others, but they love them in order to be loved back or because they were first loved. But God's love is not like that. God loved you when there was nothing lovely about you. He saw everything and knew everything. And not only up to the present, but into the future as well. And yet the Bible says that God still demonstrated his love. John chapter 3, verse 16. Listen to what it says. For God so loved the world. I put the emphasis on the word so because this passage is about the extent of God's love. You know, there's, there's different degrees of love. Uh, when, when I uh, first got married, I, I truly loved my wife. But today I love her much more than I did then. I've grown and I've understood love and I've matured. I love her more. And there'll be things in this world that you sincerely love. Maybe there's people in this world that you sincerely love. But the question is, how much do you love them? Do you love them enough that you would uh, loan them some money when they needed it? That, that's, maybe that's good. But do, do you love them enough that you would sacrifice your own son if necessary to help them? That's a whole different level of love, isn't it? 
The Bible says, for God so loved the world. It's the extent of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's the best news I've ever heard. That God not only loves us, but he loves us to the extent that he sent his own son so that we could have eternal life. That's what it says in the second part of this verse. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It says that all this took place while we were still sinners. I don't know why you came today. Maybe you came because you're seeking God, and that's wonderful. But I want you to understand, long before you were ever seeking God, he already loved you. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, but there's another word that we just don't understand today in our culture. We've reached an unprecedented level of biblical illiteracy in America where people don't read the Bible and just don't know what's in it. So the concepts are foreign. Many people today, if we say the word sin, they equate it with the most violent and egregious sins listed in the Bible. So many people today think they have not sinned because they simply don't understand what sin is. And so if we were to ask them the question, have you sinned against God? With a clear conscience and all sincerity, they would say, no, I've never murdered anyone. I've never committed adultery. That's all they think sin is, is just the most serious things that we can, we can think of. But sin is so much more than that. In fact, the Bible defines sin in this way. It defines sin as falling short of the glory of God. So the glory of God is a pretty high standard, isn't it? But that's what the Bible says. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The problem is, is that many of us are glorious compared to our neighbors. And so we look around and we see people who are worse than we are. And so it makes us feel good about ourselves. And so we realize that we're really not that bad after all. And the things that we've done are really not that serious because we all know people who've done worse. But God's definition of sin is not to fall short of the glory of our neighbor. It's to fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that all of us have done this. In Isaiah chapter 53, the Old Testament prophet was prophesying about Jesus and what he was going to do for us in relation to our sin. And he said, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Transgression is another word for sin in the Bible. The Bible has many different words to describe sin because sin is a multifaceted reality. There's lots of ways in which you can sin. And the Bible here talks about transgressions. And the idea of transgression is that God sets a boundary line and, and we cross over it. God says, don't commit adultery, but we cross over that either in action or, as Jesus said, in the heart through thought. Transgression, God sets a boundary and we cross over it. And so the Bible says that Jesus was pierced 
He's referring to the, the nails in his hands. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, another word for sin. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Now here's what the Bible says in verse 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Notice the emphasis on all, all. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, listen to this, every one. There's the emphasis again. Every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us. Here it is again. All, all. Just one verse, but three times it emphasizes the universal sinful condition of all mankind. We have all gone astray. We have all sinned against God, each and every one. That's why every week I can look across the crowd and see faces I've never seen before. I can speak to the camera, to viewers that I have no idea where they are or who they are. And I can still say with all confidence that we have all sinned against God because the Bible says that we all share the same universal condition, different particulars but the same universal condition. Do you know when we begin to compare sins and try to rate them and say, well, you know, my sinful condition is not anything like other people's sinful condition. In fact, I'm much better off than many people that I know that regularly go to church every Sunday. It's, it's really like two terminal cancer patients sitting in the waiting room to see the doctor arguing over whether brain cancer or pancreatic cancer is worse. Ultimately, they're both going to die. And that's the same that's true about sin. We all fall under the same penalty because of our sinful condition. But here's the good news. There's a substitute. Amen. There's a substitute. God said, I'm going to send the angel of death across Egypt. The firstborn in every house is going to die. But there's a substitute. You can kill a lamb. God said, the wages of sin is death. Uh, and as he set up the tabernacle, it was not set up for a place for human sacrifice. It was for sheep and goats because there was a substitute. And John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he knew he didn't come to wipe us all out. Instead, he looked at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's what Romans is speaking about here. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, it was to pay for your sin and my sin. It was to stand in our place and take on the penalty that we owed. Now, here, here's the thing about this gift of forgiveness. And, and gift is not my word. That's the word in the Bible. It's God's word. He says it's a gift. Whenever someone offers a gift, you have the option to receive it or not. Uh, good friend Leo Lytle, he was here a few years ago and built a door on this stage as a sermon illustration. Anybody remember Leo? Yeah, Leo's been traveling all over the United States with a trailer full of crosses, uh, giving them away to anybody that will stop. 
And Leo was telling me uh, just a couple weeks ago, he came through the area and had coffee with me. He was telling me about this illustration that he's using to help people understand this concept. And he said, I, I reach in my wallet and I pull out a dollar bill. He said, I got several hundred dollars in one dollar bills in my truck that I keep for this illustration. And he said, I pull out a dollar bill and I hold it out and I hold it as close as I can to the person. And I say, I want to give you a gift. And he said, almost everybody takes the dollar. See, every once in a while somebody does, but almost everybody takes the dollar. And he said, then I say, now when did that dollar become yours? And some people say, well, when you decided to give it. And Leo says, no, that's, that's, not, that's not the right answer. Some people say, well, when, when you reach and you pulled it out. And Leo says, no, I decided to give the dollar. I pulled it out and I held it as close as I could to you. I made it as easy as possible for you to receive it. But you still had the freedom and the opportunity to simply turn around and walk away. That dollar did not become yours until you decided to receive it. You know, the same is true about salvation. The same is true. God offers it as a free gift. But we still have to have a moment in which we decide to receive it. I, I was nine years old uh, in um, a small church in East Tennessee, just close to our house. It was a Wednesday night. We're in revival services. And... Uh, a guest preacher was there preaching, and for the first time, I really understood this. Prior to that, I didn't understand. I love church. I like going to church. BBS was fun. People were nice. I liked church, but I didn't understand. But on that Wednesday night, for the first time in my life, I understood. And I realized that I had to respond in some way. And on Friday night, when we had the invitation came forward and I knelt down what would in that sanctuary would be about right here and my pastor led me in a prayer to receive this gift of salvation that was almost 40 years ago and everything between then and now that one decision has directed my entire life I'm still telling that story and a million years from now I'll still be talking about the day when I received the Lord Jesus as my Savior and the question is, do you have a time in your life when you decided you were going to receive this gift? Jesus, when he went to the cross, he went as your substitute. And today, instead of bearing the weight of your sin, you could allow him to pay for it for you. You say, why would, why would anybody want to do that? Well, the Bible says it's because God loves you. It says God showed his love for you in sending his son and if by faith we receive this gift that he offers we can be forgiven and our whole life can be redeemed but you have to make a decision whether you'll receive that or not here's the promise that the bible makes romans chapter 10 verse 13 it says for everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved do you know how we're saved jesus came to this earth he lived a perfect life he never sinned in any way 
He never sinned in thought. He never sinned in motive. He never sinned in action. He never sinned in any way. He did what none of us have been able to do. And so therefore, he did not earn the wages of death. When he went to the cross, he went willingly. He went voluntarily to take your place, to pay for your sin. And today he wants to be. He wants to be your substitute. He wants to be your sacrifice. And friend, this is why this is so serious. According to the Bible, there is no other sacrifice sufficient to cover our sin. You can't do enough good deeds to outweigh your bad. You can't give enough money to cover up your sin. You can't be extra obedient in this area to make up for your lack of obedience in this area. There is absolutely nothing in this world that is sufficient to stand in our place and bear the wrath of God so that we can be spared other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today I want to ask you this, this question. Have you made a decision to receive him or not? Here's what we're going to do. Before we celebrate this supper, we're going to have a song and I'm going to invite you to respond. Today, you say, Pastor, I, I don't know that I'm saved, but I want to be. Then here's what you need to do. When we begin to sing, just step out of your seat and meet me at the front. And I'll pray with you. I'll answer your questions the best of my ability. I will help you call on the name of the Lord because that's what the Bible says that we need to do to be saved. Maybe here today and you know that you're saved, but you know the Bible says that the Lord's Supper is a sacred, holy thing. There's only two symbols that, that God gave us and commanded us to keep as a regular practice. There's baptism in which people profess their faith publicly. And then there's the Lord's Supper. And the Bible says that we don't need to partake of it in an unworthy manner. So therefore, we should examine ourselves. So I want to invite you today. As we sing, we just examine yourself. Say, Lord... Is there some sin that I need to confess today in order to be forgiven and to be ready to celebrate this supper in a worthy manner? Maybe you're here today and you'd just like to spend some time in prayer with the Lord. You can pray as we sing there in your seat. You can come forward. You can kneel at the altar. Friend, however you desire, wherever to pray. Now's the time to get ready. To receive this supper. Now's the time to respond to the Lord. Maybe you're here today and and you didn't get to pray with one of those team members and, and you'd really like to. They're kind of scattered all over the room today. If you were to grab one of them, I know they'd love to come and just kneel and let you pray over them for their protection, for God to use them. But as we sing, that's the time to respond to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that this symbolic supper today truly has meaning. We thank you, Lord, that you love us enough that you sent your son to die for us. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here that they've never understood or they've never believed or they've never received this gift, I pray that as we sing, 
They'll step out of their seat boldly, and they'll come and pray and call upon your name and be saved. Father, for the Christian that needs to prepare for this supper, I pray, Lord, they'll be honest with themselves, search their heart, confess their sin, be forgiven. Lord, if there's anybody here that needs to make any type of decision that's not been mentioned or even alluded to in this message, I pray through your spirit, you'll speak to them and you'll draw them into you. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. If you need